following presentation was recorded live by the Jewish Ethics Institute. Okay, so I think we're going to start. I'm not sure who else is coming. So we, we are going to... The topic, today's topic is um, dangerous jobs. And the question is from a halachic perspective, from a Jewish law perspective, um, is one permitted, is really the question, to take a, a career, choose a career, or have a job that endangers their life? Um, so, actually, I have in the front, interesting, I, not necessarily what you think. These are the 10 most dangerous jobs out there. Um, it's actually changed. Last year, the most dangerous job was a fisherman. Fisherman was the uh, most dangerous job. But if you look in the front, it has timber cutters, um, is an order of danger. Fishers, fisher, fishermen, pilots, and navigators. As you know, this, um, I'm, I'm not sure what what specific pilots they're talking about. As we know, there, there was a plane that they still haven't found yet. One from Malaysia, yeah. That's pretty. Uh, but I wouldn't think commercial airliners would be the most dangerous job. Stressful, maybe. Um, structural metal workers, driver, sales workers, roofers, electrical power installers, farm occupations, construction laborers, and then truck drivers. Okay, so they have the fatality rate out of 40, I don't know what number, what percentage that is. Anyway, so, there's, so there are, there are a lot of dangerous jobs here. I, my choice would have been, if you look, I put policeman, fireman, oil uh, driller, oil rig, coal miner, rabbi. Um, is this your physician, list? Physician, this is my list. Oh, okay. Physician or football running back. Um, that, that actually comes up a lot as a rabbi gets questions from parents about uh, should can their kid be on the football team is because it's dangerous. Many times the parents don't want their kids to be on the team. That's really a question. Physician, by the way, there are many times, and I actually heard this directly from a group of physicians. Um, let's say you give uh, someone who has a contagious disease, you give them mouth to mouth. A friend of mine, a physician, told me he had a friend who, uh, this was in Boston, who gave someone um, with TB, gave them mouth to mouth, and he actually, the doctor ended up dying of tuberculosis at a later point in life that he contracted from, uh, contacted from that uh, patient. So there's, there's, there's dangerous jobs out there, believe it or not. And I put down rabbi, not as a joke, but it's, uh, I've, had, I've had a swing taken, uh, you know, at me a few, a few times. So, uh, you had what? Someone took a swing at me. Okay, let me ask you a question. It was actually during a divorce. I would take that as a fair warning. Right, so it was during a divorce. Was uh, I do, you know, get which is the truth of I had a husband take a swing at me once. So but he missed. If these are the most dangerous, what's the safest? I don't know. That's uh, I don't know if there, that does exist. Every that's job has its risk. Oh, that's true. <coughs> Everything, whether it's a job or activity, has a risk. That's true. There's always a risk in the, always risks in, in any career. Questions and we'll see how do you define risk, what's considered a risk, and what's considered dangerous enough that it might be a, a, an issue of putting yourself, what's considered putting yourself at but, risk. But I would, I think, well, I think you're absolutely right. I draw a distinction 
between somebody who's 19 years old and is making a choice, supposedly a developer, to go into a profession or whether you would allow your child at seven to play football. So, right. But that's not an occupation, that's an activity. No, but for yeah. some... Uh, well, but, um, well, I'm, yes, you're right. No, but for some, I mean, also... riding a bicycle, you get hit by a car in traffic. No, but for some no. people, sports, special sports is a, is a career. question is, would it be something for a nice true sport? Listen, most of us are 5'5", five, five, we can't do it anyway. Well, I agree with uh, David, I mean, anything you do, from whatever age, has an inherent amount of risk. Yeah, so, that's, so we'll talk about that. There's no question, everything, there's a risk associated with everything. Driving, like he said, driving on the freeway. Driving to Austin at 130 miles per hour is, is a risk. I only did that once. <laughs> but um, but the, the, the question would be specific careers where there's an inherent danger in that job. That's the question. Is that something that's allowed? Is one allowed to choose that career or take that job that inherently has a risk? So, so, so many, as we know, studies today so professional football players with the concussions. Right? That's clearly there's there's a risk involved in being a professional football. That's what I put down. Football running back. We there's studies today that we know that show that the long-term risks are there are long-term risks. Obviously, boxing is not. Uh, is a pretty risky business. Right. Well, professional or boxing. See, right. So it depends which neighborhood you're in. Yeah, that's, so that's exactly the question. How much... Everything has a risk to it. First of all, where do you draw the line? And in cases where there's a substantial real risk involved, um, ha can one choose that profession? Okay, so we'll start with, in general, the reason why I connected it connected this week's Parsha this week's Torah portion discusses, it's all about sacrifices, but one of these sacrifices um, that were brought were known as the a Thanksgiving sacrifice, it's known as Karban Toda. And the Talmud explains there are four people who would have to bring this sacrifice. Um, it's known as a Thanksgiving <laughs> sacrifice. And as the verse explains, whatever the sacrifice was, but it says there are four categories. It's for someone actually who survived a dangerous situation. That's who actually has to bring this sacrifice as a Thanksgiving. Um, so the four categories are, it says someone who, can, is, again, we'll talk about it, this is in those days, um, it says someone who crossed the sea, so you take a ship, uh, you, you go overseas um, on a sea voyage, so you, when you arrive at your destination, or when you get back to your home, you, you have to bring, those days it was a sacrifice that was brought, a Thanksgiving sacrifice, that you made it, you survived your trip. Second is, for, same would apply to crossing the desert, someone uh, crosses the desert, um, three, number, category number three is a prisoner, it says someone who was captured, either a kidnapping or he was put in prison, um, and then he survives that ordeal, gets out of prison, or released as a captive. So again, he has to bring a Thanksgiving. Um, and number four is it says a ill person, someone who was ill, seriously ill, and they survived the illness. Um, so they also have to bring this karban. Now today we obviously don't, we don't do sacrifices anymore. But we have, there's a blessing, and some of you may have heard of it, it's called Birchat HaGomel, the, the Gomel blessing, which is a blessing that's made in, in lieu of the sacrifice. So you're called up to the Torah, and besides the regular blessings on the Torah, you make a special blessing, which you say, um, thank you Hashem for, not the exact language, but it's something like, um, for, 
It says, Blessed are you, Hashem, King of the universe, who bestows good things upon the guilty, who has bestowed every goodness upon me. Okay, so that's the blessing you make. Um, if you survive, it's still done today, one of these situations. Now, uh, many contemporary authorities say, today also, if you take a plane, if you go overseas, even by plane, um, the same would apply. Because you're, anytime you cross an ocean, there's an inherent danger involved. As we see, as we mentioned, the, that plane wreck, which I'm still not sure what happened yet, but in that case. Um, so therefore, you, you make this blessing anytime you cross the seas or fly over a, a desert. Okay? Um, and the same thing would apply if someone... So it's not, by the way, it's not limited. These are four categories. But what they say is any time one survives something dangerous, let's say you're in a car wreck, okay, and, you, and you're okay, you came out okay from the car wreck, um, so you'd make this blessing next time you'd go to synagogue you make this blessing okay so anytime there's there's something had I've happened um, I once had a friend who he was he what happened was he swerved someone uh, you know cut him off so he swerved and he ended up you know his car turned around he was in oncoming traffic nothing happened there was no accident he just he ended up everything fine Yes, he said he told me he asked, he called his rabbi in New York to say, does he have to make the blessing or not? The Goma blessing. So he said, he told the rabbi, told him, he said, this morning my wife hung uh, my pants out to dry on the, on the clothesline. And the wind blew the pants off the clothesline. Right? If I would have been in those pants, I would have died. Right? But that doesn't, that's not dangerous. If nothing actually happened to you. The fact that you swerved into oncoming traffic, nothing actually occurred to you. I mean, something has to have occurred and you survived that occurrence because that's when you make that's when you're in those days you'd be obligated to sacrifice and these days you make this blessing why would that example be any different than coming out of a, a burning building no, the, the, point, building the point is I mean, so you yeah but the point is there you were the in a situation right. that you could have died if the door that been no I'm saying here you nothing nothing actually occurred it's like he's saying, every time you drive, technically, a car, another car can hit you. Right, okay. but it's especially so that he would actually hit or spin her out and end up in the wrong place. Right, so the fact he's saying, unless something happened, happen if all. a car hit you, the point is you're thanking God that in this situation, something should have happened to you, but didn't. That's the point. That's what the Thanksgiving is for. But if nothing occurred to you, if you, you know, so then nothing happened. Okay, that's the assumption. Except in by these, these other cases where crossing the sea itself, we're saying, Making an overseas voyage is in itself inherently dangerous, at least in those days. The assumption is today too, but, but uh, although that's debatable. Okay, so that's so that's the, this category again. It's known as birchat making a blessing, surviving a dangerous situation. And by the way, it's a question even when it comes to illness. Um, how does that work? How do you define an illness? <coughs> Obviously, if I have a uh, you know if I'm sick in bed with the flu, when when at which point what's considered ill enough that you then go ahead and make the blessing? Um, when you survive the illness. So, so what they say is it has to be serious illness, any internal illness, that you've been in bed for at least three days. So when you just have a cold, if you have the sniffles, obviously that's not going to suffice. You don't have to go ahead and make this blessing. But if you, someone had a heart attack, obviously, or they have a procedure where you're, it's surgery where they're cutting you open, any procedure, so that would be sufficient that it's considered you were ill and you survived the illness. Or just being an, an, under anesthesia, maybe. So... So that's as far as the portion is concerned. This week's portion deals with this concept of danger and defining danger, um, which, will, as we'll see, is if the same criteria will be applicable to when we want to define danger when it comes to a job. How do we define danger? Because 
Jewish law unequivocally says a person cannot um, value life and therefore a person has no right to put themselves in a dangerous situation. So that's based on this verse. If you look at quote number one. What about a soldier? Uh, so war, we'll see. War has different rules. War, war always has different rules. Well, not in war, just being in a military. Yeah, but the point is you pr when you're dealing with military, military obviously has different rules because you're always you're placing yourself in a dangerous situation. That's what war is about, or training, military training. So the, clearly, the Torah, and we're not a pacifist society, at least as Jews, the Torah says very clearly, war is allowed. So obviously war has totally, the rules change when you're dealing with military. Um, the question is, again, if you make that your career, but, but the same thing, obviously the country needs people who are going to make the military their career, so clearly that has different rules. Um, so we're not discussing that. We're talking about this you know, I can choose a career. I choose a career where there's an inherent danger in the career. Is that permitted? Because, as we're saying, inherently, Jewish law states very clearly, and this is a quote from Deuteronomy, it says, um, Jewish law forbids one to endanger their own life. As the verse says in Deuteronomy, take heed and watch yourself very carefully. That's understood to me, and of course it's taken out of context, it's referring to, um, in the context it actually seems to be talking about spiritual matters, but we understand in the literal sense you're obligated to, to take care of your health in all manners. So, for example, as we talk about smoking, um, today at least, once the Surgeon General report came out that said smoking is clearly prohibited, uh, clearly uh, dangerous to one's health, causes many various forms of illness. So, according to Jewish law, smoking would be prohibited. Now, marijuana is a whole different story. Okay. Cigars. Well, uh, cigars, you don't inhale, as long as you don't inhale. Um, but, uh, so, so that, that it is true. I actually working on a class in America. Someone asked me this question. Someone called me from Colorado two weeks ago, David Zolk, and he got this question. He's a physician, and he wanted to know what's the Jewish perspective on medical marijuana. Um, so that, that's a different class. We'll get there one day. It has a great economic uh, ramifications also. So, so we'll talk about that. But as far as for this, I'm giving smoking cigarettes as an example of something that unequivocally today any um, halachic authority would say that it's prohibited for one to begin smoking because it's it's a violation of this biblical edict of of you have to you have to watch yourself you have to watch your health you have to take care of your body okay so the question becomes obviously and that's again defining danger as we said everything is dangerous so where where do you draw the line um, skiing bungee jumping up put down hunting right, in Texas that's a very that's a very important question. Um, what can one is one allowed to go hunting? Um, clearly not with Dick Cheney, but uh, even even in general, can, if you go hunting, is that is that a violation of are you putting yourself in danger? Are you people with guns around you? Um, where do you draw the line? Again, in defining danger, which I don't have a good answer for, um, as we'll see. But it's but clearly I have seen people who say that skiing would be prohibited, maybe downhill ski, at least downhill ski, because if you people uh, injure themselves. So exactly where you draw the line. So again, getting back to, in general, there's no question. Judaism says, because we value life, you can't do anything which will in any way endanger your life. Um, and Maimonides not only says that, he codifies it and he says, look at quote number two, he says, many things are prohibited by the sages because they are dangerous to life. And he says more than that. He says, if one disregards any of these and says, if I want to, listen, it's my body, I can do what I want with my body. So this is a key point. Judaism does not agree with that feminist quote. Not, nothing to do with feminism for males and females that we don't own our bodies. 
as Jews, we don't say we own you own your body and therefore right, I have a right to do anything. That wouldn't be a feminist quote. That would be a quote by a woman. No, no, no. But it's the feminist. I don't know what the, that's their yeah. That's their mantra. Our bodies, ourselves. I know. I'm saying that's if you lo- any. That's the famous quote. Who said it? Our bodies, ourselves. That we own our bodies. Therefore, no one has a right to tell us what to do with our own bodies. As far as abortion is concerned, as far as uh, reproductive rights, that's the feminist mantra. Our yes, bodies, ourselves. Not, that's not the putting my body in danger. Yeah. No, I understand that. I understand that. I'm saying, but that concept. So I'm, I'm <laughs> saying the concept of that. The again, you don't want to call it the feminist mantra. Whatever you want to call it, that you know, that's, we own, that, that's we have a right to do whatever we want with our bodies is, is not true. Well be, to Judaism. That statement may well be the feminist mantra, but you yes. went from there to a different statement and then called that this a feminist statement. And I'm just no, no, just right. To, okay, so let me explain. Narrow okay. your application. I'm, I'm going to I'll retract. I'll go back. <laughs> Let's backtrack a little. Okay, so I have a question. Yes. <laughs> it says if I want to. Uh, if one disregards any of these and says, if I want to put myself in danger, what concern is it to others? He deserves lashes. Yeah. So would I still deserve lashes if I wasn't disregarding it, but I still said that and said, no, it means, what is your opinion on that? And no, no, it means if someone actually does, puts themselves, disregards their ba- their life and puts themselves in danger. But also, we don't do lashes today, so don't get nervous. Well, I'm, I'm just saying, you know, I, I don't want to put myself in danger, but I am of the opinion of, if I want to, what yeah, so it does. It means obviously we can't prosecute you because something you want to do, just like in any system of law. If you do it, that's what he say. First of all, he, just, he doesn't say we'd give him lashes. He deserves lashes. Okay, so it doesn't mean he actually do it in any case. But the, but the point is, what my man is saying, which is a fascinating thing, is that just listen. A person could say, okay, I understand we value life, but it's this is my life. I have the prerogative to choose what I want to do with my life. So says Maimonides, no, that's not true. The Torah is telling you, and I hate to quote, quote Rosh Limbaugh, um, but it, it's, it's, um, the Torah is telling you that it's, your body is, is on loan to you. His brain is on loan to him. But, uh, but he, right, our bodies are on loan to us for 80 or 120 years, however long we live. We don't own our own bodies. That's the Jewish philosophy, based on this verse. And therefore, we don't have a right to do what we want with our bodies. And we even including putting yourself in danger. So a person can't say, listen, which by the way, it's interesting, um, as much as we'd like to say in Western society, we, we, there's, uh, I guess you call it, what's the word I'm looking for? Not free will, but um, in the medical field when they say patient autonomy, right? Autonomy, that we have, we're autonomous in Western culture and we decide what we do with ourselves. It's not, even Western society, almost every, as far as I know, not all Western societies, but almost all societies say that suicide is illegal. You can't commit suicide. Right? That's, um, that's a law in, in the books in most, I would say, 90% of, of Western societies in the world. There are some countries who, who do allow suicide, I believe. Right? So the point is, so we don't, everyone agrees that we don't have full autonomy over our bodies. The question is where you draw the line. So the Torah is very, is much more um, extreme in the sense of you have no right to do anything to your body. You can't mutilate your body. You can't um, in any which way endanger your body um, it's, and it's not your prerogative to do that you can, you can do whatever you want of course we have free will but what is your violation of this of this, Torah, of this biblical law so based on that um, says, as we see quote number 3 quote of Jewish law says one should avoid all things which might lead to danger because the danger to life is stricter than a prohibition 
um, as we'll see, and it's prohibited to rely on a miracle to put one's life in danger. So it's not only what's fascinating is you think in Jewish law we're so into the rituals and prohibitions, so you think, okay, so this is not, there's prohibitions, and then there's um, things that, in this case, we're saying it's just, it's dangerous. Don't do it because it's dangerous. So what the, what the Code of Jewish Law says, no. Danger to life is actually stricter on danger than prohibitions. So for example, as we discussed there many times, if there's a contradiction between a prohibition and your health, of course your health, your life overrides any prohibition in the Torah. So if let's say uh, this food wasn't correct, you know, you need to have shrimp, or else you're going to die, theoretically speaking. So then of course you're allowed to eat shrimp. Okay, I never met anyone who was in that situation, but, but whatever the case is, your doctor says you have to eat on Yom Kippur, you're obligated to eat it. Beca- then becomes a mitzvah to eat on Yom Kippur. So life, the value of life overrides any prohibition. But more so than that, um, for example, um, let's say the laws of kosher, let's say you have a piece of shrimp, or no, that's a bad example, let's say some milk falls into your chicken soup, but it's one sixtieth than the volume of the whole soup. Okay, so even though meat and milk, you're not supposed to meet, mix meat and milk, it's not a problem because it's, it's so small, it becomes nullified in the, in the, gray, in the volume of everything. And therefore, you're allowed to eat it. That's the Jewish law. But it says if something dangerous falls in, let's say snake venom or some type of poison, bleach falls into your soup, even if it's less than a 60th, we don't allow you to eat it because the danger to your life is stricter than prohibitions. That's how strict we are. That's how much Judaism values life. Yes. Let me take this into another direction. <coughs> that being said, all right, let's combine this with another one of your classes, on plastic surgery. Inherently, going under anesthesia <coughs> isn't they, I mean, that's something you really want to do all the time. So you saying it is dangerous or is that? I'm saying it is. I, mean, I think inherently you just don't want to be put to sleep. I don't know if that's really... Yeah, but it does, it doesn't, not, just because you don't want to be put to sleep doesn't mean it's dangerous. Meaning the point is, at some point, like he, there's a risk in everything you do. Driving on the freeway is dangerous. But as we can talk about, we'll see why you're allowed to do that, even though it's danger. But the point is, at some point, the numbers, you look at statistics. If the numbers are negligible or so low, then that we don't define that as danger. So, so as far as I understand today, anesthesia, the numbers are like 0.0 you know, two five so of people who don't wake up from anesthesia. Uh, true, that's a good point. But, but it still says with, when it comes to certain levels of danger, that's a good question, right? why it says that. But certain levels of danger, I mean, if there's poison in this food, they're not going to allow you to eat it, even though it, it's so so little in volume. It's a good question. Why, how that, how that fits with it. But the point is, at some point, I'll, t- I'll tell you, maybe, maybe the difference I'm thinking as you're talking is, one is, we know there's poison in this food. The question is, is it enough to harm you or not? So the number is okay. If you, if it, they might say it's really so much volume, it's irrelevant. But when you're driving on the freeway, just take that as an example, it's, there's, no, there's nothing, I mean, obviously, there's, there's a risk involved, but there's nothing in here, nothing in my car saying it's dangerous. There's nothing right, right now that's dangerous. Yes, no. a certain number of people don't come home every day. They die in car accidents. But, but that's, think, that's different surgery, when you have something. Surgery is a little different than driving, getting into your car. Okay. <coughs> you make that argument. Actually, I read this week of uh, someone I know in Chicago who didn't wake up. He had a routine procedure. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robert Moskowitz, Chicago. So and he didn't wake up from surgery. They don't know what happened. He didn't come out of the anesthesia. 59-year-old guy. So what happens? 
clearly it happens. Right. The question is. So what happens if, just think about it, uh, there's surgery and then there's, uh, I forget. Elective like procedures? Like for cosmetics? Well, no, 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 no. I, I was saying there's, sorry, I misstated that. Not surgery. There's anesthesia where you go under. But then there's, there's also numbing certain areas. Yeah, Would that be considered? No, so not that's not that. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm saying even general anesthesia. I'm saying even general anesthesia today is not. The numbers are so negligible that it's not considered a danger. Because okay. he's bringing up, we came up in a class, we gave him plastic surgery. You know, is there a problem? Again, I'm doing, I'm opting for this elective surgery, as you called it. It was just for cosmetic purposes, but I'm going under anesthesia, which could be dangerous. So what I said in that class was it's, the numbers are so negligible in the anesthesia, then not coming out of anesthesia, that it's, that it's not considered dangerous. The argument no. might be stated, one shouldn't expose oneself any more than is absolutely necessary. Then what if there's a... Well, we'll see. When it comes to careers, uh, I don't know if it's true. Well, but I was thinking about the anesthesia. So I was thinking about the popular surgery today is stomach stainless. Right. That's for health purposes. That's, I was thinking of health. Okay, but yeah. that, that's for health. But I would make an argument. It is, it's it, for health, it, but it, it is for health. But most of the people who do that are folks who gain the health benefit if they just stop eating. Eat less and work out more. Is that true? I mean, I don't know, it's controversial. Very controversial. Did that? I know. Okay, I'm saying, but some people are really uh, saying. <laughs> 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 this is uh, somewhat controversial because I think there are some people who really have health issues. In. Health issues. Uh, one thing. Right. But oh, you're right. So you could make a choice. Doing that are, you know, have elected not to make a lifestyle choice. That could be. Oh, or plastic surgery would be or that. Or plastic exactly. surgery. Right, yeah. but again, so it, so that might be there is inherent danger in the, in the stomach staple because there, I mean, people get uh, have a lot of there could be a lot of problems from that. So that might be different. But as far as I'm just saying, as far as the anesthesia is concerned. It's negligible. The numbers are negligible. So even well, though it's the, not necessary. The reason why anesthesia and going under is dangerous is because people have different metabolic responses. And it's a statistical occurrence for people being administered anesthesia. And it's an aberration. <coughs> and an anesthesiologist, that's why they're required to sit the, there and the monitor. Because the human body being yeah, as complex different. and diverse as it is, reacts differently with the same anesthesia. So it's a statistical anomaly that you die, but you just don't know who's going to die. Mm -hmm. It's like doing actuary tables for insurance. You know 10 people are going to die in that age, you just don't know which ones, but they will. Okay. Yeah, but that's any statistic. I mean, you're saying it's, it's not just random. As opposed to a car accident, which is just random. No, I mean, no, car accidents can be, no, car accidents, if you're doing 160. Yes, and this. <laughs> that was day. a Jack Conner's car, by the way. I told him that. You know, Jackie Conner. So the doctor now. If one's not supposed to put themselves in danger, then I don't know when exactly it stopped being, more, stopped being so dangerous, probably because nowadays by that. Say 200 years ago, when birthing a child was a lot more dangerous. Oh, and okay, so that's a good question. Would would getting that pregnant would be considered yourself in danger? Getting shouldn't get pregnant. So it's a good point. So the well, so so actually, yeah, it's a very good question. It's it's a different topic, but I'm going to explain. Actually, Ramosha Feinstein has a response on that, where he says, 
and a woman, because of what you're saying, cannot induce labor. You know, today the woman, let's say, wants to induce labor for non-medical reasons. Let's say she's gone on vacation with the doctor. This happens many times. Doctor's going. It's July Fourth week. He's gone on vacation, so he wants to deliver the woman before he leaves because he's going to be gone for a week. She's due. So he says that's prohibited halachically because you're putting yourself in danger. What he what he explains is that normally it's not dangerous even in those days. He says God cannot uh, wouldn't create something that's part of nature and this is actually relevant to our topic that's inherently dangerous. If if it's the natural order of the world, people should get pregnant and die. Uh, pe- sorry, people people should get pregnant and and, and have to procreate and they have to deliver babies, so it can't inherently be dangerous. He says it's not possible. But it is. It was. So he says, is, no, well, I, you're not going to like his answer. Very not politically correct. But he says, if someone dies, there's a reason that person died. They were supposed to die for whatever reason. That's Spiritually. <laughs> he says, it's but, it's not, but it can't inherently solution. be a dangerous act if it's part of, of the normal nature of the world. And we'll talk about that a little more when it comes to, to jobs. But it's a very, it's a very good question. That, that goes back to the, to the saying that you know, the odds of being hit by lightning is one out of 88,000, unless you're the one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. So now, so that's, so that's as far as general. Um, as we're saying, it's prohibited, again, uh, you got to speak to your local rabbi before you go skiing, bungee jumping, or whatever, whatever the case may be, hunting. Um, we'll talk about hunting. We'll get back to hunting. So, so now what happens when it comes to earning a living? As we're saying, there are many careers which inherently have risks involved. So does that mean I can't take a job as a coal miner, let's say, or as we're saying, a, a, a boxer, professional boxer, or a policeman, or a fireman, for that matter? So, so there's a fascinating Gemara. Talmud says like this, in, in Tracted by Matthias, quote number four. And it quotes, actually, it's quoting a verse in Deuteronomy. The verse says, um, it's, it's really, again, slightly out of context. It says, you must pay a, a employee his wages. We discussed this here in a different class. Um, for, for it, he risks his life because his life is dependent on it. It's really the words of the verse. Okay, and the simple interpretation of the verse, the other interpretation is that it's talking about, and we discussed this here, that there's a biblical obligation to pay your employees on time. You're not allowed to withhold um, their payment. Let's say if we're talking about day laborers, so let's say they work today, you only have to, within, you have to pay them by tomorrow morning. Okay, that's a biblical obligation. Or if they work at night, you have to pay them by the next evening. You have, you have a 24-hour period to pay your your day laborers. Obviously, if they're contracted employees where they're paid twice a month, that's fine. But if someone just works with you, you pick someone up from uh, to do a job in your you know your lawn or whatever the case is, um, you have to pay them a biblical obligation. That's really what the verse is talking about because the assumption is day laborers, even in, they understood this 2,000 years ago, don't make a lot of money, and their life depends upon their their wage. If you're not going to pay them, this guy might starve to death. Whatever the case is, he can't eat. So therefore, biblically, you have to pay them. The other interpretation, Talmud says, is another opinion on how to interpret the verse. And it's referring to, it says, for it he risks his life. That's referring to his job. That many careers, it seems like from the Torah understood, and the Talmud understood, there's inherent risk in, in, in many jobs. You work on a farm. There's, there's people at many farmers. It's a dangerous job. You know, there's combines, whatever. In those days, they didn't have combines. Whatever it was in those days, get run over by a plow or, or gored by an ox whatever the case is so it's inherent when you're making a living there's inherent risk involved so that's what the Talmud says why does he climb a high ramp to work or suspend himself from a tree to pick fruits right if you're a fruit picker you, it's a dangerous job you're hanging from this palm tree you know three, three stories up 
So placing himself in mortal danger, in mortal danger, is it not for his wages? That's what the Talmud says. So the there was a actually a response. <coughs> this was written uh, by if you see paragraph five, written in the 1700s. He was this person was the chief rabbi of Prague at the time, Czechoslovakia. So he was a famous uh, person known as the Noda Behuda. And he, he actually was asked, someone sent him a, a question about hunting. Is it permitted for a religious Jew to go hunting? Okay, this was in Prague, Czechoslovakia. Why are you shaking your head? Not a good question. What's the answer? What would you say to Shoot an animal, just kill it. No, but they're not going to eat it. not for sport. Let's have a good time. He's not going to eat it. That's a separate issue. Not not no purpose. Uh, maybe he'll sell it to, to. He's going hunting with someone else, with his friend. who's not true. She'll give him the animal to eat, or he'll put. Uh, he's gonna taxidermy, put the head on his wall, over his fireplace. So it has a purpose. Um, okay. So the question, and by the way, this is rodeo season, so this is a relevant topic to to know. Can you? His question was painting. Yeah, cowboy's a dangerous, uh, dangerous career also. Um, so the question is. Um, so that was a question posed to the rabbi. So what he goes through, he discusses why, as far as painting the animals, he says it's not a problem, by the way, um, because uh, even though normally it's a prohibition to, to for any for no, for no reason just to cause undue pain to an animal, he says that's only if you're gonna if they're alive. If, if you kill them, he says that's not applicable. That prohibition, that's aside. So he says inherently there's nothing wrong with killing an animal. Okay, um, again, if if you're gonna cause them pain, that's a problem. He's assuming that you're hunting, you're good, you're good uh, marksman, and you're going to kill. It's going to die. So therefore, he says it's not a problem. But he's, and he says, um, as far as he, so what he discusses the issue is he says inherently in hunting, there's a risk involved. People are shooting all around you, so there's an inherent risk. People can mistake you for uh, an animal, and that's what he discusses. So he says that's the problem. He says it's a prohibition of you placing yourself in a risky situation. He says it's only. He says in this that it's permitted. To put yourself in a risky situation, he says, if you're doing it for, for to make money, that's why you're hunting. Let's say you hunt and you're a furrier, so you're trying, you're hunting animals which you're going to use for, for fur coats. Okay, today of course we don't. God forbid, I don't even know if you're allowed to say that in public anymore. Um, my, my father was a furrier, by the way. Um, but uh, the the so if you're doing it for, he says for, for parnasa purposes. For livelihood to make a living, he says you're allowed to do that, and he quotes this this Talmud. He says this applies to earning a livelihood because earning a livelihood is something worthwhile to risk one's life for. Fascinating statement. He says, however, for leisure it is prohibited. A specific example he discusses, as we mentioned, is hunting for sport. If one is a professional hunter, um, meaning so he's doing it, let's say, if to because he sells the hides, whatever the case is, um, or for food, so then it's permitted. He says. But for leisure, it's prohibited. So now it's saying that it seems to be there's a special dispensation. You're allowed to do things that are inherently dangerous, even though normally you couldn't do them just for leisure purposes. But if you're doing them because you want, you need to make money, he says that's permitted. Okay. Um, and he also, in, he, this opinion also indicates that he, he whisks, he weigh the risks versus the benefits. So obviously, it doesn't mean you're gonna, you know, it has to be something that's worthwhile. This career is worthwhile, and there's inherent risks involved um, but you're going to make sufficient money he's saying which will outweigh the risks but he clearly seems to permit um, in this particular case he's talking about hunting where the purpose is to make a living from it and he says this, the, the verse in the Torah <coughs> implies that the fact that the Torah in this verse in 
Deuteronomy says, understands that someone risked their life for their wage. That's the implication of that verse in Deuteronomy. It says, for he shall pay him his wages, for it he risks his life. So he's saying the implication there is that you're allowed to risk your life to make a living. It's a fascinating uh, thing. Um, so again, now we have to, of course, define First of all, the question is why? Why, if we're saying we value life so much, so why all of a sudden you have to make a living, you're allowed to risk your life. And how much risk does that mean? Does that mean I can, you know, jump off buildings uh, or because I want to make money? How does that work? So w- one of the explanations I've seen is it's based on a verse in Genesis. That the verse in Genesis also says, and this has to do with what you mentioned before, the military. The Torah says, part as we know, the world was created in a way that we need to make, we have to work for ourselves. Initially, it says, in the ideal world, originally, uh, when God created Adam and Eve, you, it says everything, uh, you know, the ready-made food was growing off trees. You didn't have to farm initially. After the sin, Adam and Eve, so then, it says, God said, now you're going to have to work by the sweat of your brow. And God tells Adam there, it says, the language of the verses, shall fill the earth and conquer it. That's where the concept of tikkun olam comes from, that our job as humans in this world is to to better the world, to make the world a better place. One of the ways is we 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 get minerals out of the earth, we we farm the earth, we mine the earth. We're we're using the earth for the sake of humankind. Um, of course, it has to be done properly, as we spoke about it. We spoke about environmentalism, but the point is the language used. So Rabbi Salvechik talks about this. He says, why does the Torah use the language of conquering? Um, he says that the implication is that. There's going to be danger involved. Conquer is a language of, mili- of of war. Okay, so but the Torah's language is fill the earth and conquer it. So he says that specifically, why does the Torah use the language of conquer it? Because it's understood that there's going to be inherent risks. When you're doing tikkun olam, when you're out there trying to make a living, there's going to be inherent risks in, in many forms of, uh, many aspects of making a living. And therefore, he says based on that, that's, the, that's where he says the permission is, is gotten from. That's what, how he explains it, how we salvage. Um, as far as just other, so another explanation, which this is very important, and defining risk, what we were talking about before, is another, there's a verse in Psalms that says like this, it says, uh, the Hebrew is Shomer Petayim Hashem. It says that God watches the foolhardy. Yeah, they translate it as simple. But, but as, as Michael mentioned before, as we all mentioned, everything in life has risks. You know, eating fried chicken, there's risks in there. Be dangerous, right? There's many studies you eat fried foods, it's not good, you want to ruin anyone's lunch. But, right, so eating everything, barbecue, there's a study today, by the way, for everything, there's nothing you can eat or do that doesn't have risk involved. Okay, so so there's everything has risk involved. So, how does it work? So, as a Jew, so I mean, we're saying you have to watch your health, so I have to lock myself in a house, you know, in, in my bubble and never leave my bubble. Obviously, does it's understood life doesn't work like that. So how does that work? So the, what it says is, that the Talmud says, there's a concept called Shomer Pataim Hashem. God watches the foolhardy. That means if something is inherent, it's part of everyday life, obviously, even though there might be some danger involved, but God watches the foolhardy. It's part of life. This is part of society. It's understood. This is what people are going to do. And therefore, you don't have to be concerned about it. That's the concept. So again, it's known as Shomer Now, obviously, this doesn't work. You can't walk in front of a truck, an 18-wheel, and say, God watches the full heart. And obviously, it, it, it needs to be it's put in context, um, meaning things that are done in an everyday situation. For example, driving, probably could be a good example of that. Even though driving on the freeway, especially in Houston, is inherently dangerous, people don't know how to drive. 
Um, so, but again, it's something, it's part of our society today. Something that, that we, we couldn't live at this point in society. We couldn't live without driving, without freeways. Yes. Just an irrelevant factoid. Yeah. When you buy life insurance and you want to get accidental death and dismemberment, generally speaking, you get your payout, it doubles. And so they usually charge you a 50% or 20 or 30% increase in your premium to get that double or nothing on your life insurance. Actuarially, do you know how many people die naturally and how many people die accidentally? No, I mean, they have the statistics. I'm assuming that a lot more people die naturally. I hope. 2% of people die accidentally. The other 98%. Yeah, two, it's, it's like 1.9, uh, but 2%, because I'm not talking about it like you. 2%, a little round out. 2% of people Do you, do you sell insurance? Huh? Do you sell insurance? No. Okay. Um, yeah. 2% die accidentally. The other 98% of us die naturally. Which so means... what's your point? We shouldn't buy accidentally. On purpose. Suicide is not natural. You don't get. Uh, oh, sorry, for the insurance purposes. Sorry, I thought yeah. it was for insurance. Well, I mean, suicide would be two percent. That's unnatural. But you know, and, and I'll tie that in. I mean, I lived overseas in Baghdad and Kandahar Kabul, for like six years. I've seen a whole lot of stuff go on. I'm sure over there the numbers are a lot higher than two percent. Well, um, not really. In wartime. Not, not really. Yeah. Um, the one thing I learned over there is that dying is really easy. There's a million ways to die. And generally speaking, it's not the way you think it's going to be. If you're in a war zone, I cannot tell you how many people I heard of who didn't get shot, but their vehicle rolled over and fell into a, some water and they drowned. Was happened a lot, or uh, you know they got bit by a snake, or I mean something something collapsed on them that they just walked by. I mean random, random. So what stuff. were you doing in in Baghdad, Kanda? I was mm -hmm. being a lawyer. Okay, so that would be his question. Right. Can you but, uh, do that? But you know I come back here, and every time I come back here, about every four to six months, I'd go to Shul and I'd listen to the people who died recently. But I, and I, every once in a while, there'd be a name of somebody that I knew, because I've been out of the loop. And they said, you know, we condolences to the family of so-and-so. And I go, what happened? Heart attack. These are young, relatively young people. They have a heart attack, or they got in a car accident. I mean, the moral of the story is uh, you die everywhere. And that's just kind of life. And one of the other lessons I learned, I just don't sweat the small stuff anymore. I mean, I'm not going to get upset I'm stuck in traffic. I'm not going to get upset I run out of peanut butter. I'm not going to get upset, you know, Hold for on. whatever. I mean, it's just not worth the risk and it's not worth the right. headache. 
but there are some things you can avoid and some things you can't. Yeah. And so, so okay, you, that's the question. How much do I have to avoid? That's what that's we're doing. What the you question have to is, avoid. So that's a great. Your question is, can would you be allowed as a contractor, as an attorney, to go to Baghdad, where one can argue there's inherently more risk? Um, putting yourself in his, in his own way. See, I, you get desensitized to what the level Yeah, but it doesn't mean it's okay. <laughs> yeah, but you, question trust is, can me, you, you know, okay, here, you can, first night I was there, a rocket missed me by about 100 yards. Literally. I was up for three days afterwards, I couldn't sleep. But you can also walk over on the Lions Avenue tonight. And right. see how nervous right, you'll right. get and see how far so you get. That's the question. Can you yeah, live, but there are people who live can you live in Foundry? That's, that's a good question. It's a tough Is one allowed to northeast side of town? It's a very tough part of town. So you and people live there. Right, okay, so that's part of the so question. Are they can all I live there? The tour? Can I move there? If I know can I live in Foundry in the southwest? It's a good question. I think it's a, that's exactly right. There's I mean, an argument to be made that there's a higher risk to the <laughs> for seven of us on Lions Avenue than there are to the people residents. <laughs> well, and that's true Actually, I us. think that that's not true. My guess would be that there's a higher crime rate intra-neighborhood than inter-neighborhood there. That would be well, my guess. No, you don't want to find that. You, I, you don't I, want to Except if you wander into the neighborhood by accident. I disagree. We'll have to agree. I used to work there with a friend of mine. I mean, let's say, let's, we got to finish. Before we run out of time, then we'll get We took a 12-gauge pump with us every time. <laughs> I bet you there's more deaths in between the residents than there are people coming Yeah, because they live there. Right. Okay, but the statistics, if you walk in there once and you die, What's the statistical occurrence? Right, but I don't, I don't. Yeah, that's 100%. Okay, okay. Rabbi, that's okay. it. So here, so look at number eight. So the question is, again, we're saying there's this concept of God watches the foolhardily. That means things that are part of everyday life, we don't have to worry about, even though there is inherent danger involved. So the question is, how, how do you define it? So I found, um, this is a one of the deans in YU. He, he had a response in dealing with this, and he discusses it like this. He says, there are three levels, levels, he puts it as three levels of risk in a profession. A, he says, activities that are clearly dangerous without redeeming merit. And he, I don't know what this means, in parentheses, Russian roulette type activities. So, I mean, there's something inherently dangerous. The question is, is it going to be you or someone else? Someone's going to die. Okay, these activities are prohibited outright. So he says that you don't have this, this uh, permission, this dispensation is what we're saying of, God watches over the foolhardy. Meaning, if you're walking, if uh, I don't know what a good example would be, but maybe maybe a coal miner, where accidents are ha happen, fact of life. And I'm not sure exactly. Let's see. B is some activities are not viewed as dangerous, although there may be the possibility of danger in the course of action. These are permitted and do not involve. You don't need to come on the principle of Shomer Pesayim Hashem that God guards the foolhardy. If they, you know. They're not viewed as dangerous, so they're fine. That's not called danger. C, activity C, is he says these are activities which some view as dangerous and others do not. And that's where he's applying, he's saying this principle of God washes the foolhardy. So if it's not, if it's an inherently dangerous activity, then this would not be applicable. Then you can't do it, he's saying, even for a profession. So if something is, I don't know what a good example would be, but um, uh, maybe a contractor in Iraq, maybe. Mountain Something like what? Mountain climbing. It's not a profession for most. Pure geologist. Okay. 
a mountain, it depends, obviously, it depends what type of mountain you're climbing, but, but, uh, but, you know, maybe work on oil rig in certain cases, or whatever, a policeman, maybe, even that, but we'll yeah. talk about this, it's different there, too. So we say the term, Shor Batayim Hashem, does that refer to somebody who is going to take a job that's somewhat dangerous? Yes, that's what we're saying, let's see. There's, it's a job, it's something that could be viewed as dangerous. It's not, you know, there is danger involved, but it's not inherently okay. dangerous. So that's what we're saying, well, that you don't have to worry about that. Somebody who takes it is considered simple. Is that what we're saying? Yeah, if, again, if it's part of everyday life, it's normal. This is a normal career. If it's a normal career choice, so that's part of why everyday life. But if it's simple? something, well, I don't know, that's just a simple meaning, simple-minded, maybe foolhardy. I understand that, but I'm trying to think of why. He's taken as a norm, considered a normal part of life, but yes, it can No, because be I think part of many of the things we do in everyday life, we're fools, are foolhardy. <laughs> Saying, it, as we said before, he, many of the foods we eat are not healthy, but we continue to eat. You know, the, it's part of life. So, you, know, you know, we can't say well, we only. Not everyone. As long as he's not being crazy about it. Right. I mean, as long as you're not doing something, if it's something that's normal part of society, then what we're saying is you don't have to be concerned. That's what that's what this concept says. Okay. Um, so just to finish off, there, I just, there is a response specifically, I saw Moshe Feinstein, this was written, I forgot the date, but about um, professional sports. Someone asked him about playing professional sports where there's a risk to the players um, involved. So he says, Moshe Feinstein was asked regarding professional athlete, number nine, doing his job meant putting both himself and the other players at some additional risk, small additional risk. So Moshe Feinstein allows it, as the Talmud talks about people who get jobs, doing somewhat dangerous things like climbing tall trees. So he's saying if, again, if it's professional, for professional purposes, it would seem to be a difference. I mean, if you're just doing it in high school because you just want to be a jock, but there's no, he's saying to make money, you're allowed to go into, let's say, boxing or uh, football, become a professional football player for, to make money because it's this principle of you're doing it as a career choice. And therefore, there's, there's, we're more lenient with that. He says, Ramosha says that other players are cognizant of the risk. So therefore, it's not a problem. Even though I'm not only harming myself, I'm a, if I'm a I, tackler, I, I, I'm going to harm other people. I have a problem with that. Yeah. Because when you make that decision to be a professional boxer or, or football player, you've been, you, your parents have made the decision when you were six years old to allow you to participate. And you really aren't capable of making an informed decision. You may want, you want to play football. Your friends play football, you see that. You want to go out and play football. And your parents allow you, and you develop that skill set, and so you want to play more. And Saying it doesn't just happen later in life. You, you don't just you don't wake up and... at 19, I'm going to be a running back <laughs> for, for the Texans. That's true, I got it. And so there's a whole decision-making process, which includes both an emphasis on the sport and a de-emphasis generally on the academics. And so you get to be 20 years old and you're a boxer or a football player or whatever, you're in a high-risk sport, and yes, you want to do it to make a living and you are making an informed decision, but you don't have an alternative. At you, that point, you, you say, you have no education, you have to saying, be. You know, I was, I'll tell you what's relevant. It happened recently, there was, there, was a, there was a Russian guy um, who was a boxer and he came to the United States, he's, I think he's middleweight, and then he, he in midlife, he, be, he was Jewish, he became religious. And he had this question, can he can, now can he become professional? He was middleweight champion, I think. Can he continue his sport as a boxman, as a religious Jew? 
I don't know, he didn't ask me, but he, he, he actually still is he's doing it, so I'm assuming he asked his rabbi. Mm -hmm. Yuri, yeah, Yuri Europe, something. Have you heard this guy? No, I'm talking about? Google it on your phone. Google it on your phone, Orthodox boxing, you see, right. it comes up. It, right. that's, Fascinating that's guy, he's a beard. I'm not going to get my knee blown out when I'm 20 years old. I'm going to be the one who's going to live forever. And or have brain it, concussions and have uh, right. Or you get to be 23 years old and you found out that you were a terrific college ball player, but you know that uh, oh, the openings uh, narrow so substantially, you you can't make it in the pros. But that, that's, 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 yeah, that's a, that's a valid point. You say my, you, it's going to start at earlier in life, it, but the it, question it's, is, it's decision making that was four and five and six and seven and eight years old. Right, so it could be his, his parents didn't ask the question to the rabbi, and now he grows up, he, he has the question. So, that's a good point. So, so he says, his only concern in this response, and we're he says, he's concerned that the sport involves some danger to the crowd attending the game, because they don't know the risk involved. Meaning, he's saying other players, even if I'm going to harm other players, say I'm a football player, or, right, so they understand his risk, they know the risk they're getting into. But someone attending the game might not realize the risk. So let's say you're attending the rodeo, you don't realize the ball can... Uh, you know, jump over the fence. So he says that's what that might be a concern. Um, that would be prohibited if there's a chance that other people can get harmed in the professional sport well, because they don't realize right by my actions. So they, you don't realize they don't realize the risk. So the players, the other players, know the risk. So well, that's <laughs> Maybe. But the point is, so actually going to the this is uh, so you know they have for the kids at the rodeo muff, muffin busting. I think they put these little kids on the sheep. So Jeff Singer asked me on jobs, he asked me the question, can he allow his kid to do that? So, you know, I, I was saying, someone asked me about the sheep, is it harming the sheep? So I said the kids become more traumatized than the sheep, that's for sure. <laughs> Not the sheep that you have to worry <laughs> but, uh, but bull riding is clearly in inherent, I mean, these people who ride the bulls at the rodeo. It's pretty dangerous, seems dangerous to me. Everyone's waiting for them to get trampled and, <laughs> and start cheering. Have you gone to rodeo yet? You got to check it out. <laughs> anyway, so there's, a, there's also obviously, again, uh, when it comes to, to uh, what we, we spoke about many times, the law of the land. So when there's a law, let's say when the, when the many times they'll have laws in certain industries which they say you can't do X to your employees, can't allow your employees to do X, or, or there's union laws or things like that. So obviously we have to uphold the law, even though we're saying halakhically we might, it might be okay making money in dangerous situation, but the question is, of course, the law of the land might override that. If the law says that this is considered dangerous, then we have to go with that definition many times. And so that's uh, just the end off. The exact degree of risk in defining that, obviously there's a lot of gray area, which I don't know exactly, you know, how to define risk in many of these cases. And again, uh, there's getting back to one last question, which is the policeman, um, fireman issue, obviously there there's inherent risk. But when you're dealing with society, obviously we need to have, it's similar to the military, you need to have the certain things that are inherent risk which society needs. Okay, so that's not even a career choice that might become more of a, similar to a soldier. Okay, we understand there's military, we have to defend our country, we also understand we, as a, we have to have firefighters. So, so that might be different, that becomes a societal obligation, as opposed to a question of an individual. As a society, we have to provide firefighters. So then, again, the rules might be different in those situations. Bottom line is, it's nice to wear a tie and send a sip on the desk. I'll give you one more fact. Yes. I don't know everybody wants to judge. What's the most dangerous workspace 
worst place ever in the world, statistically. You don't have it on your list. It's the deck of an aircraft carrier. Deck of an aircraft carrier on a day-to-day -day basis, not in combat, just during normal operations, is the most dangerous place to work. There's about 300 ways you can die at any given moment, from the exhaust of a jet or a prop or a cable or a wave or being run over by one of the vehicles, and you just have to be 360-degree aware. And I've seen a lot of people get hurt. Just pass the sign in case. Anyway, but that's okay, just day-to-day. -day. Are you, you in the Air Force? Maybe. Yeah. <clears throat> and it scared the daylights of me being on an aircraft deck. Because you just got to be looking everywhere. And you can't hear anything because it's one gigantic war. Probably better for short people. Uh, well, short people get sucked into intakes a whole lot faster. <laughs> I have uh, nephews in the Israeli Navy. That's a really good one. I got. I had some shows of mine. A few right. days ago, they, they, <laughs> thank you. They you got this. Are you just having, yeah. Is Chef leaving? No, I knew. Uh, are you coming I met two now? guys. One was the uh, captain of a Navy sub. Did you walk? No, I walked. Navy sub, uh, and the other one was the uh, weaponers, weaponier, uh, weaponeering officer on the sub, and uh, they were two great guys. I was, I've worked with them up in Northwest Virginia. They came in. You see, you were, you were stationed in Norfolk? No, I, I was in, everywhere. You lived in Norfolk? No. No. I, I just was everywhere. And, uh, you know, you don't, I didn't realize this, but Navy officers in the Navy, and the Israeli Navy, they're not appointed, they're elected by the other crew. Did you know that's that? Right, no. <coughs> that's where they get their uh, officers from. <laughs> Thank you. Seth, do you, you live in town now? Uh, I'm at school, but I'm in town for spring break. Oh, okay, where are you in school? Uh, Shawnee University in Coke. Nice. Good to have you back. That's what I mean. I can't speak for your dad, but I'm saying. <laughs> Got a pen? Yes, we do. It's right there. It's not the usually. Thanks, Rich. How's it going? Wow, it's you? Yeah. You can tell. How are you? My kids will be filled with love. I'll switch them out. Hmm? The kids are like $2 bills. You have been listening to the MP3 project from the Jewish Ethic Institute. For a complete selection of our lectures, please visit our website at j-ethics.org. Shalom. Shalom.